the old pilot's plain tales. The Ian Black Interviews, part one. In this, the first part of the Ian Black Interviews, you'll meet Ian and hear a little bit about his aviation career and about his love for aviation photography. It's a rare chance to meet this fine photographer and author, and I trust you'll enjoy the chat we had. Ian, first of all, I'd like to thank you very much indeed for um, allowing me to interview you today. Um, You're a fascinating bloke. Uh, We've known each other for quite a few years. And um, you're someone who has managed to successfully combine two of my greatest loves. Uh, It's flying and photography. So how did you first become interested in those two subjects? Well, my uh, my father was a fighter pilot, a well-known uh, jet pilot. He uh, left um, the Air Force uh, around about three or four years before I did, but, but had a much longer career. He started off uh, flying meteors for national service. Then he flew seahawks and vampires. He was one of the RAF's first lightning pilots and uh, then became a Harrier pilot. And then a senior officer, flew for the Battle of Britain flight. In fact, he was the commander of the Battle of Britain flight. And I, as a child, obviously lived on Air Force bases and was surrounded by uh, normally lightnings and uh, Spitfires and Harriers, etc. So, you know, on my days uh, at home uh, from boarding school, I'd walk down to uh, take him his lunch or whatever, or I'd just stand in awe watching him uh, flying his aircraft around. Uh, He was always a very keen uh, PR type of person, so never missed an opportunity to, to promote the Air Force. And that obviously involved formation aerobatics and formation flying. Uh, he, he was great friends with Ray Hanna, so did uh, mixed formations with the Red Arrows. He did mixed formations with uh, the Battle of Britain Flight and Lightnings. And that involved taking photographs. So um, a chap called Arthur Gibson was one of our sort of uh, family friends, and he would often be around the house. And so I'd, I'd sort of look in awe at his work. And, and the combination of, um, of the thrill of flying and wonderful photography sort of captured me really and then I bought books by Charles Brown uh, and looked at his work and was impressed by the way he um, took uh, the clouds in the background and then put the aircraft into the cloud in the background and, and sort of dropped it in like a painting so that that was my uh, trying to combine the two hobbies like you really that that I love flying and I love photography uh, and, and trying to get the two to work together. What was your first camera? My first camera, it was either a Zenith or it was either a Practica, so something from the Eastern Bloc. Uh, I was obviously sponsoring um, the, the Warsaw Pact at that time. Uh, and I do what I do remember is that the Zenith might have been my father's camera, and we bought them from the um, what was the uh, the officer's shop at Rheindalen or the BX at uh, Ramstein. And I remember uh, the Zenith was a 35mm camera that um, could... Uh, sort of replicate Nikon, Olympus, and Pentax, etc., but it weighed about two and a half kilos, so it was enormously heavy. Uh, it had a very, very basic light metering system, uh, and the lenses weren't brilliant. You had to be pretty sharp to take a good photograph with that, and it was just one of my regrets, I guess. Is I, I didn't buy a Nikon from day one. I, I worked my way up from the, the ranks, as it were. Fair enough. Now, you've had a pretty distinguished flying career. Perhaps you could give us a quick rundown of uh, how that came about. 
Well, I um, I left the the army, as it were, um, after about six months. I decided that um, I didn't want to join the air force and follow my father's footsteps. I wanted to do something different. Uh, at the time, it was during the Northern Ireland crisis, and my father said to me, probably to get me out of the house, what you should do is you should go and join the army and get yourself to Northern Ireland and see some of the real action. Well, perhaps that was a good idea from my father's point of view, but after about six months, I realised that there wasn't going to be any flying in Northern Ireland, and I'd also be running around uh, with a beret on and a gun, and that wasn't what I wanted to do. So I applied to join the Air Force, and um, I wouldn't say I was desperate, but uh, it wouldn't be far off it, because at the interview, I was offered a navigator post, which I didn't really want to do. I wanted to become a pilot, and uh, I jumped at the chance and said, when can I join? So I, I always had the vision that even if I started as a navigator, then perhaps one day I could become a pilot and, you know, at least I was out of the army and I'd be wearing blue rather than brown. So, yeah, it, it was um, a hasty move to join the army and an even hastier move to get into the Air Force. But um, I was offered navigator and I took it and I sort of went through navigator school un not not uh, fully aware of how complicated it was to be a navigator in terms of mathematics and astrophysics and things. And I, I'm not a gifted um person in terms of academics and so it was pretty tough and then eventually I got posted to the Phantom which I love flying uh, for the first year I thought it was great fun the second year I thought it was incredibly dangerous and the third year I thought right I need to become a pilot so <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, an inspiration to um, to get out of the back seat and go to the front seat and I was very lucky because um, one of my uh, station commanders was a chap called Sir John Allison he was um a well-known warbird pilot, a lightning pilot, and a phantom pilot. And generally on phantom squadrons, if the station commander wanted to fly the next day, all the navigators all scurried away under a stone and then said, no, no, I'm busy, I can't do it. And I thought, well, you know, I was only 20, 21. I've got nothing to lose. And he was a nice chap, and so I often volunteered to fly with him. And on one particular day, I was uh, sitting around the ops room and somebody said, does someone want to fly with the station commander tomorrow morning? And I said, yes, you know, I'm happy to do that. And off we went in this uh, Phantom, bumbling around in about 4 or 5k visibility. And we went up to an area called Low Flying Area 2 near Osnabrück in Germany. And I, I don't know why a sixth sense or something, I looked out over my left side and I just saw a uh, Phantom literally half a mile away, doing about 500 knots, and he was pointing exactly towards us. So he was on a collision course. And I just shouted to uh, the guy in the front, irrespective of rank, push and I said it a bit louder than that and he did we were at 250 feet and he pushed quite hard and we must have gone down to about I don't know 100 feet or so and this phantom went over my back canopy and over his front canopy probably I don't know five or ten feet I could hear the the two jet engines just roaring away I could count all the rivets on the stabilator and we must have missed him by literally inches and after that we had a, we had a great rapport and he said well you know if ever I can repay the favour for saving my life, I will. And uh, I said, well, as it is, sir, I, I want to become a pilot. And so he he backed me to the hill for that. And so that was a pretty lucky lucky chance meeting, I guess. Absolutely. Now, uh, once you started your flying training and became a pilot, um, what did you fly operationally from the front seat? Well, I, I started off and I had to go through the whole um, pilot training scheme um, which was, everyone said to me, oh, you'll, you'll find it a walk in the park, it'll be easy. And I didn't find it easy. I found the navigating very easy, but I found the sort of the coordination between a map and a hand is very difficult. So 
it's not not the same as sitting in the back of the map and just looking out the window. Um, eventually, I went through all the training scheme and got posted to Lightnings, which was um, one of the last courses to go to the Lightning. And from there? Uh, after the Lightning, uh, I went to the Tornado F3, uh, which was a short step down from Binbrook to Coningsby in Lincolnshire and uh, joined pretty much the Leeming Wing. So I went there in 1988-89, uh, just as the whole base was was forming as a, as a Tornado Wing and um, started off on 23 Squadron. And then they were looking for experience on 25, which was newly formed, so I moved across to 25 and then ended up on 11 Squadron at the end, which I'd been on as a Lightning Squadron. Uh, and then we went to the Gulf, and then we came back. And so in the end, I did about five years on the Tornado. Yeah, you're, you're kind of missing a rather special airplane out of this uh, little list of fighters you flew. Um, well, there was the Lightning, of course, which <laughs> um, was uh, my father's aircraft. And so that was my goal, to get from the front or the back seat to the front seat of the Lightning, and probably by the most circuitous route that anybody's ever done. It took me probably about five or six years, but I, I had got uh, 750 hours or so on the Phantom, and so I could operate a radar with my eyes closed, as it were, so that wasn't a problem. Flying the Lightning was not an easy aircraft to fly, so I, I had a bit of an advantage, and uh, that that stood me in good stead, certainly, to fly the Lightning. Didn't you end up doing an exchange tour? I did after uh, I'd flown the Tornado Air 3 for three years or four years, I applied for an exchange tour, and at the time, the options were flying the F-16 in Norway or in Denmark or in Holland or flying the F-4F Phantom in Germany or going to America to fly the F-15. The one exchange tour which sort of stuck out to me was flying the Mirage 2000 in France because it it wasn't really part of NATO. It was living in the south of France, and um, it was flying a single-seat jet, which was very similar to the Lightning. Excellent. I bet that was a fantastic tour. It was. It was. Um, the French are, are great aviators. They're uh, they've got a great air force. They've got a great philosophy about um, operating aircraft. Uh, they operate pretty much on a war footing all the time. So you fly with live ammunition or live weapons most of the time. There's no peacetime constraints as they were. And pretty much, if you uh, went to work on a Monday and they said we need to deploy ten aircraft to the middle of Africa on Wednesday, they would literally just put some bombs on and off you'd go. There'd be no, we can't do it, or we've got to reprogram the radar warning receiver, or we've got to put the new chaff dispenser on, or we haven't got this. They were all combat ready all the time, which was, was, a, was a real eye-opener to me. Excellent. Now, you must have uh, have a few memorable antics from your days flying fighters. Do any spring to mind? Um, probably not that I'd like to put onto air that uh, would would incriminate me. But um, <laughs> it's all water under the bridge now. No one will come after you, I'm sure. What? A, lo- lots of things, really. Doing air combat, um, chasing bears, uh, which I know you yourself have done. Uh, having been in the air force probably 15 years at um, at that time, the sort of finally getting miles and miles out over the North Sea and finally seeing a Russian aircraft and you're going back to 1988, 89, 90 or so I'd waited so long to see one that um, I remember the GCI said no no you've got to, you've got to turn back now you're too far away and I, I had to say I'm sorry I can't hear you I, I'll, I'll call you back in five minutes and we just pressed and we pressed and we pressed and eventually we rolled out behind this uh, Tupolev bear and I remember thinking that's it. I've finally done it. I've finally got behind a Russian aircraft. And now, you know, my, my, my job is done. I can go home now. Excellent. Now, did you always fly with a camera? 
Um, I did, um, from about a year and a half into my first tour, I, I must have flown pretty much every every flight with a camera because initially I was obviously learning how to do the, the job in the back seat and I didn't have the capacity probably or the ability to, to fly and take a, a camera with me. And then I guess looking at my photographs now, I, I must have had a camera pretty much in every flight, even in fact um, flying over Bosnia and Saudi Arabia and Iraq, then I still had my camera with me and thinking, well, if I get shot down, it's, it's going to be sitting in the bottom of this aircraft, I guess. How did you get your first photographic book published? Well, uh, jumping back, actually, that uh, when you asked me about my, uh, did I always carry a camera with me, reminded me that um, I did always carry a camera pretty much with me with the lightning. And I watched a guy eject when he caught fire. And uh, one of the things I always thought was, I, you know, what if I'd seen that and not had my camera? And that was always my thought. Well, you know, I might see something that nobody else ever sees. And this guy, we came off the tank and we were doing combat against phantoms and he announced he had a fire. And I went alongside him and the whole of this, the bottom of his aircraft was burnt away and it was smouldering and it was still bits of control runs hanging out and things. And eventually he ejected and I had one frame left on my camera. So I, I moved into sort of close formation on him or uh, out of close formation and waited for that one shot and got a shot of him just as he ejected and the canopy came off and his, his chute fired. So that was a reason why I always did carry a camera. And my going back to your original question, my first picture was a very grainy black and white shot that um, I took of a an aircraft uh, as a gate guard at my father's um, headquarters at Bentley Priory, and I sent it to a magazine. They published it, and I think I don't think I even asked them for any money. I was just I was so pleased to get it published. I think well, you know, they don't surely not going to pay me as well. Whose idea was it to publish your first book, and um, how does it compare with your latest creations? Well, I uh, I met a chap called Dennis Baldry who worked for Osprey Publishing in Longacre in London, and they were starting a uh, a series of colour series books called um, just the Osprey Colour Series books, I guess, and and they were fast jets and jet combat, and a guy from Bimbrook had done one. And so I had amassed a reasonable collection of photographs and then I got a commission to do the book. And I think at the time it was maybe £2,000 to do the book, the commission, which was you know, a reasonable amount of money. It was enough to buy yourself a decent camera and enough film <clears throat> to produce a book. So it, it wasn't uh, an insignificant amount of money. And then from that, um, I published maybe seven or eight more books whilst I was in the Air Force, uh, always with the... Um, the hope that one day I could publish my own book because publishers tend to treat it a bit like yesterday's fish and chips. You know, you've, you've got a book coming out, they produce it, and then the next day they've got somebody else's book coming out. So they then want to move on to that. And so I wanted to do a book which had, uh, in terms of uh, ph photography, moving up a gear, I guess, into making sure that all the photographs didn't go down the middle of the book, all the photographs were nice and clear, and across the centre spread, no out-of-focus pictures, no marks on them, and no mistakes. So I decided to publish my own books, and it was actually a pretty, pretty simple process of finding a printer, finding a designer, and then doing a lot of the preparation work myself. We're going to leave it there for this week, but tune in next week to listen to The Plain Tale, which will cover the concluding part of the interview, where Ian uh, talks about uh, his post-Air Force flying and more about his aviation photography. If you're interested in taking a look at his website and his publications, 
You'll find him at firestreakbooks.com. F-I-R-E-S-T-R-E-A-K-B-O-O-K-S.com. And uh, you'll be amazed at uh, the quality of his photography and his fabulous aviation career.